Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's extra episode, I want to talk about pregnancy resource centers. Pregnancy resource centers are a unique resource in this country, and especially to the evangelical movement and the pro-life movement. In fact, I would go so far as to say that for decades, the pro-life movement in America was essentially a grassroots movement, and that the soul of that movement was the compassion shown by the 3,000 pregnancy resource centers, or PRCs, that have grown up around the nation. It's also important to note that each of these 3,000 PRCs have staff, they have volunteers, they have donors in the tens of thousands, if not in the hundreds of thousands. And uh, they really are kind of a quiet but powerful force all across the country in communities all over uh, the nation. Now, many of these Pregnancy Resource Centers are uh, involved with one of two large networks, CareNet and Heartbeat International. We've got uh, links to both of these organizations in the Ministry Watch database profiles that you can take a look at for yourself. It's important to note that these organizations are not flashy or full of firebrands. They don't typically put out a lot of press releases. They don't you know, show up in Washington but they quietly go about their work in their local communities. Over the decades, they've saved millions of babies and helped millions of women. Uh, They are also quietly changing hearts and minds in the country as well. According to a Gallup organization, by the early 2000s, a majority of Americans thought that abortion was morally wrong. In 2010, the percentage of Americans who thought that abortion should be legal in all circumstances was just 21%. That means a full 79% of Americans favored some form of abortion restrictions. But I'm sad to say that in the past decade, those numbers have changed fairly dramatically. Today, the number of Americans who think abortion should be legal in all circumstances has risen to 35%. That's almost an 80% increase. What happened? Well, I think it's likely that some who say they are pro-life may not be so pro-life. They've been seduced by what the philosopher Jacques Ellul called the political illusion. The political illusion is the notion that all problems are political problems, and therefore they have political solutions. And so they have invested all of their energies into those political solutions. Further, the pro-life movement, I think, got faked out of position, as they say in sports, by this political illusion. The pro-life movement pursued legal and political victories, most notable the Dobbs decision, which overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. Now, I don't want you to hear me the wrong way. I think overturning Roe was a worthy goal. It was important. I'm glad it happened. But we are now discovering that how one wins is as important, if not more so, as what one wins. 
the tactics and political liaisons of some in the pro-life movement alienated those that we need to persuade, and they simultaneously energized the pro-abortion movement. In fact, after years of decline in the number of abortions in America, we're now seeing a rise. The number of chemical abortions likely means that this rise is even more dramatic than we're seeing in some of the numbers. Planned Parenthood's fundraising has exploded. In July of this year, Gallup issued a report that expressed the rapid turnaround in sentiment about abortion when it said this, after years when Americans were closely divided on the morality of abortion or leaned against it, now a slight majority in 2022 said that they consider abortion to be morally acceptable. That continues in a 2023 poll. 52% say abortion is morally acceptable, and only 41% call it morally wrong. The pro-life movement won the battle over Roe, but it's losing the battle for the hearts and minds of Americans. It has formed liaisons with politicians that most Americans consider to be immoral or at least obnoxious, and who claim to be pro-life only in order to consummate political transactions. Now, I know a lot of you might think that I'm talking about Donald Trump, and of course he is an obvious example. As I've documented elsewhere during the Trump administration, funding for Planned Parenthood, government funding for Planned Parenthood, reached an all-time high. And Planned Parenthood's private fundraising nearly more than doubled during the Trump administration. Planned Parenthood's annual budget, which is about $2 billion today, dwarfs the combined budget of all 3,000 pregnancy resource centers combined. And this week, we see new evidence that the pro-life movement's shift to ends justifies the means activism continues to alienate Americans. In Ohio, a state that has been reliably red in recent election cycles, a statewide referendum to limit abortion was defeated. Now, this defeat for pro-lifers in Ohio was just the latest in a streak of losses. Last year, California, Michigan, and Vermont approved pro-abortion amendments to their state constitutions. The red states of Kansas and Kentucky also rejected measures that could have led to bans on abortion. And earlier this year in Wisconsin, pro-abortion candidate easily won a judicial race that focused on abortion. On Wednesday, the New York Times, in its coverage of the Ohio defeat, wrote this, Democratic officials have been saying for months that the fight for abortion rights has become the issue that best motivates Democrats to vote. And it also is the issue that persuades the most Republicans to vote for Democrats. Now, it's important to note that some of these votes were bound to happen. Roe federalized abortion. Dobbs did not ban abortion, but simply returned the question to the states. So it's no surprise that liberal states would legalize abortion. But the fact that states such as Kentucky, Ohio, and Kansas would liberalize abortion laws, or at least fail to enact reasonable restrictions, should give pro-life leaders pause, should cause them to question their strategy. So, given these hard realities, how can pro-lifers regain the moral high ground on the abortion issue? 
Well, the question actually kind of suggests its own answer, and that is to remember that this issue is a moral question, not merely or mostly a political issue. If Christians compromise moral and ethical commitments to the truth in order to win political battles, we should not be surprised when we find our moral arguments in other areas, such as on abortion or marriage, to be less powerful, to seem less credible to the public that's kind of looking in on this conversation. Now, secondly, I think we also need to redouble our efforts to love our neighbors. A common argument against pro-lifers has sounded something like this. You care about babies, but only until the moment that they were born. And that brings me back to the pregnancy resource centers that we started with. The practical, local, and compassionate care of the 3,000 pregnancy resource centers around the nation have made it difficult for that charge against pro-lifers to stick. The beautiful work of PRCs who walk with women, not only through pregnancy, but often for years afterwards, is now getting slandered. PRCs have been physically attacked by groups such as Jane's Revenge, attacks that we've covered here at Ministry Watch. We need now more than ever to make pregnancy resource centers the front lines of our pro-life activism, taking precedent over even our political activism. Now, some of my friends in the pro-life movement have said that the real goal of the movement is not merely to make abortion illegal, but to make it unthinkable. And I agree with that goal. The overturning of Roe has placed some restrictions on abortion in some states, but I think it's fair to say it has taken us farther away from that ultimate goal of making abortion unthinkable. We will never make it unthinkable if we jettison our commitment to the truth in order to win short-term political battles. If we do, we will become what we are fighting against, and we will get what we deserve. Thanks for listening to this week's Ministry Watch Extra episode. I'd like to thank Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh for producing today's program, and also want to acknowledge uh, Casey Suddeth, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, Kim Roberts, and others on the Ministry Watch team for providing uh, technical, editorial, and database support. By the way, you can read uh, a written version of what I have shared with you today by going to the Ministry Watch website. It's in my editor's notebook this week. Until next time, may God bless you.